0: All right, we got to figure out what we're going to call this um, little splinter episode that we do on a weekly basis. It's coming out on Sunday, uh, May 23rd. Yeah, May 23rd. We're recording on Friday the 21st, so May 23rd. I'm Jack McMullen, R.M. Layton. We have... great discussions every time we get in front of a microphone which is cool and like even when we're not in front of a microphone and we're just talking on the phone I, I feel like we have great discussions and this one we looped a third person in and josh lewin was fantastic arm
1: oh my gosh i wish we could have him like with us every time we talk now i mean he's been all over he he his qualifications i mean speak for themselves but talk about somebody that just is able to share all of his knowledge his wisdom i mean Uh, you asked some awesome questions so I'm really excited uh, to see what everybody thinks because it was a really awesome discussion with him.
0: We got into a whole bunch of topics this is a guy that has been around baseball broadcasts booze and has been around some fantastic announcers been around some fantastic baseball and has a soft spot for wonderful baseball pre hyper masculine competitive strikeout home run era that we're in right now I don't know what you can call it because like it might be worse than the steroid era in terms of just masculinity.
1: I was gonna say maybe is, is testosterone ruining baseball? Is is that the next the next call? Probably.
0: <laughs> probably. And like, are we gonna blame that on Kyle Body? I don't think so, but like possibly, <laughs> right? Uh yeah. yeah. It's uh it was a
1: really good conversation though, because as a baseball historian as well, as Josh Lewin is, I mean He was able to provide so much context of like what the game is now compared to what it was before. And, you know, just his thoughts on that. I think people will enjoy. And we even snuck in a little bit of March Madness talk at the beginning. So uh, who doesn't like March Madness?
0: Totally is. Here it is. Pleasure to welcome on long time baseball TV and radio voice, Josh Lewin. To the podcast, this is Project the Plate or the Just Baseball Show. We're kind of in the midst of a name change right now, but Josh Lewin, formerly with the Texas Rangers, the New York Mets, the Boston Red Sox, uh, and a couple others too. But we're going to talk baseball. You know, I had the thought that we could either address this at the end or at the beginning, but you had a front row seat to the Johnny Juzang show this March. I mean, this was, (laughs) it was awesome to watch. What was that like getting down to Indy and seeing uh, the rejuvenation of UCLA basketball?
2: Yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere. All of it did. I mean, you know, Juzang averaged nine points a game at Pauley Pavilion, all those home games. So had there been fans in the stands, they would have been like, meh, yeah. you know. Uh, but every time he went on the road, he was like George Gervin for some reason. And and they stayed in Indianapolis for basically a month. And he showed off and we might not get him back now. But uh, it was a great run. Uh, you know, I've done the UCLA games for five years now. And I lucked into the first year was Lonzo Ball and, TJ Leaf and all those guys and they got De'Aaron Foxed in the Sweet 16 and got bounced a little too early and then we all kind of figured out they will be back real soon and then they sucked for a while (laughs) so um, yeah I mean that final four run was amazing it was unexpected and I think they're going to be very good for a, a very long time whether or not Juzang comes back.
1: Yeah, we had the uh, the crazy Syracuse run there, and that's the cool thing is you just never know what's going to happen in the tournament. Of course, Jack and I, uh, Syracuse alum, But when UCLA started to get that run going a little bit, I, I personally was like, they can't win again. They can't win again, and uh, that kind of hurt me with my a couple of my wagers. Uh, but what did? Uh, at what point did you start to realize in that run that you know this is kind of for real? Like they they might have a shot at this thing.
2: So Tracy Murray and I both, Tracy, uh, former NBA player, UCLA star is my partner on the games. We both packed really light uh, and we did three times, you know, we, we just kept boomeranging back and forth between the West Coast and Indy because we figured it's one and done. All right, two and done. All right, three and done. All right, four and done. So, uh, you know, I never had more than two days worth of clothes uh, because I just kept going back home stunned yeah. that, that they actually had more games to play. And I guess it was when they had the 25-point second half against Alabama and then the 29-point overtime once they, uh, they, they had their hearts, we thought, broken. You know, they, they hit like a miracle three to tie it and send it to overtime. And we figured, well, that was a nice run. Same with the Michigan game after that where it was like, all right, you know, they've hung in for a while, but they're not going to actually hold the door here. And then they did because Franz Wagner kept missing threes. So, um, you know, and then Gonzaga, I I mean, when you're in the middle of that game, you don't, I think, even realize, and you guys probably can speak to this because you've done Syracuse games, too. When you're in the middle of something epic like that, I don't think you even realize it's epic. You're just trying to hang on, and you're in the moment. And then you, you kind of take a breath afterwards and look at the stats, and you say, wait a minute, there were 19 lead changes and, how many ties and nobody ever got within, you know, more than three points ahead of the other team at any point in the game. And they both shot 60 percent. I mean, what did, did that really just happen? So, uh, you know, it was only and, and Mick Cronin and, and all the UCLA guys were like that, too. It's like when you're in the heat of it, you don't even realize that you just had better than the Duke, Kentucky game from the early nineties. And, and then once you have a little breathing room, you're like, wow, that was really cool. So it would have been awesome to have won that game. Of course, um, didn't happen, but uh, you know, d- just to go that far was unexpected and, and really awesome.
0: And a nice consolation prize I'm sure was that Hep Cronin might've overthrown sister Jean for the, uh, for the icon of the tournament. But Josh, this is a baseball podcast, right? So we're going to talk baseball. And uh, I do want to get into the throwback league um, for a little bit, but before that, You know, as somebody that loves doing baseball on the radio and wants to do baseball on the radio or TV, you know, you have worked with a couple of icons in Howie Rose in New York and Joe Castaleon in Boston, being around those guys and being around baseball, as long as you have, um, you know, what are you kind of
2: picking up from, from these living legends that are, that are in these booths that you share with? I've been so blessed, Jack. I mean, it's ridiculous. When I first started, I was in Baltimore and John Miller and Chuck Thompson, two Hall of Famers, were, were in the booth. And then I go to Chicago and there's Harry Carey. And then I go to Detroit and there's Ernie Harwell. And then I go to Texas and there's another Hall of Famer and Eric Nadell. So, yes. uh, you know, the, the one good thing about this Edwin Jackson existence that I've stumbled into, you know, just kind of being this vagabond baseball announcer <laughs> is I've been been touched by so much talent and you mentioned Howie rose i mean he was a guy that i just you know i mean as a mets fan growing up he and gary cohen both were kind of and, and murph before that you guys are too young to have heard bob murphy but i mean he was the gold standard before those guys so you, i think you you take a little bit from all of them you hope that you maintain your own uh, unique whoever you are and you don't want to start sounding like those guys necessarily but i think you learn from all of them and that's the, the one I think that the single best thing is, is I've had this existence of just kind of careening from coast to coast in my career that uh, to to be around that much talent and all those guys, by the way, in their own way, uh, were just great to be around. So uh, if you have an open mind and, and open ears, there, there's nothing like it.
1: And I want to talk about like where it all started, because you talk about everywhere you've been through your career, but I think the beginning may be the most incredible part At 16 years old, you are already at that point, a professional broadcaster broadcasting triple A baseball, which blows my mind. Cause when I was 16 years old, I couldn't figure out what I was gonna eat for lunch. And meanwhile, you're calling games on the radio. First of all, how did that start? How did you convince a team to allow a 16 year old to broadcast the games? And, you know, can you talk about that experience a little bit? Cause I, I didn't even believe, uh, when I, when I read that, I was like, no way, there's no way. So it's unbelievable.
2: Well, again, it's kind of dumb luck, and and I will say that, that there was kind of a Captain Ahab single mindedness to my pursuit, which I do not recommend, because Captain Ahab ended up with a harpoon around his neck, <laughs> if his memory serves. Yeah, I, I knew from age five that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, to broadcast baseball on the radio, cool. and I, I overshot the mark. Yeah, you know, I mean, I landed at Fox when I was twenty six or twenty seven. When they were hiring the Joe Bucks and the Tom Brenneman, I was never supposed to fly that high. I mean, I got super lucky and, and, and way overshot the, the mark. But in my hometown of Rochester, New York, they had AAA baseball, and I just basically put my hand in the air and volunteered to be an unpaid intern, which led to some other things. And I was really, really fortunate that they had a general manager, a guy by the name of Bob Gone Uh, and the the late Bill Trelecki, who I should mention as well. These two guys were probably only 31 or 32. I I mean, to me, I was 16. I I thought they were 60, but they were probably, you know, in their early 30s. And they, I guess, just kind of took pity on me that I wanted this so bad. You know, I mean, I would show up and sit in the stands when it was 35 degrees with my little tape recorder and practice the games. And uh, it was Bill Trelecki that saw me shivering one night in the bleachers. There's like, you know, 100 people in the stands. And he said, why don't you come up to the press box, you know, and, and we'll, we'll find room for you. And from that point on, I was like, guys, whatever you need to be up I and mean, I'll change the carbonated, uh, you know, drink yeah. tank out on the Coke machine, whatever you need me to do. And uh, it was a who's who back then in the International League. I mean, Gary Cohen was in Pawtucket and Charlie Slows was in Tidewater and Terry yep. Smith was in Columbus and. Uh, you know, Dan Horde and Sean McDonough. I mean, all these guys that went on to, to the major leagues. So, again, leaving your mind open and kind of picking their brain and uh, they I mean, very long story short, and I've already prattled on too long about it. But eventually the, the GM said, you know what would be kind of cute? This guy's got such a passion for it. Let's just like let him read the scores like in the second inning, in the sixth inning or whatever. Oh, yeah. And that turned into the pregame and the postgame show, and that turned into well, why don't we let him do a couple innings here and there? And then when the guy that had the gig and had had it forever decided, all right, that's enough AAA, I'm, I'm getting into real estate. Uh, I was just getting out of college. I was getting out of Northwestern, had been doing this internship for five years from you know age 16 to age 21. Yeah. So again, just right place, right time. The job was coming open. I knew everybody. They knew me. They said, here's the gig. And you guys know it doesn't pay shit. It was, I think, memory serves a thousand bucks a month. And I was writing the press notes and selling airtime and, uh, you know, editing the the game program, all of it, you know, pulling the tarp when it was raining and, uh, you know, everything you do to work a 14, 15 hour day in AAA. But I loved it. And um, the one thing I will say about that experience is looking back on it, I was in such a hurry. To get out of AAA and, and make that next step, I kind of forgot to have fun, and, mm-hmm. and it would have been amazing in my early twenties to just enjoy being the same age as the players. You know, in, I remember you know we're in Toledo or Columbus or wherever, and they're all going out drinking, and I'm in my room listening to my tapes, and looking back on it, I, I probably could have eased up on the throttle just a little. And gone out and actually lived my life instead. Again, that kind of Captain Ahab thing that I do not recommend. So, uh, yes, it it propelled me forward and it got me to the big leagues. And that's great. But I would say to you guys and anybody else listening, do not forget to just step back, breathe and smile and enjoy where you are. And just uh, as they say in the NBA all the time, trust the process.
0: Yeah, Josh, the uh, the tarp poles and the CO two tanks hit close to home. We actually just yeah, got a new C- do it. yeah, right. So we actually just got a new CO two tank in the uh, in the fountain at Parkview field. So every time somebody goes with it, you hear the pssst. um, you know, calling baseball on the radio is is totally an art form. And you had a podcast of, of your own, the Throwback League, and you answered a lot of questions that I think a lot of people had. Um, and that was the hypothetical. Hey, if these two wonderful teams met up and played what would happen so the throwback league and and correct me if i've got the timeline or or the essence of it wrong but it's um the world series winners from 1974 to 2006 you've got a couple of at-large teams that were great but didn't take the whole thing and you kind of pitted them against each other simulated a game and then reenacted it um via podcast form in the form of a radio broadcast like
2: yeah that was cool, right? Well, thank you. But I mean, it, it scratched a lot of itches. I mean, number one, it was during the pandemic and there was no baseball and we were all looking for something to do. Uh, I was not going to be going back to Boston because of, uh, of the pandemic, number one. But also, you know, they they'd had me doing 55 games the year before, which was like the perfect number. And they only had like 12 games available for a full season i'm like you know at that point what am i even doing so i was ready to just kind of ease back on the play-by-play thing and not travel so i needed something to fill the void number one we all needed the pandemic to go away and for us to be able to, to have something to do there was no march madness that year as it turned out so to, to do it in bracket form and it, it all ended up being it, it just it, it was the right time and it was fun I have, and, and the fourth itch to scratch was I had always wondered what it would be like to do recreates because I'd never done those before yeah. so it was a, a totally cool project I won't spoiler alert it but there were teams from the 80s that, that ended up uh, representing very well I'll say that and um you know, the podcast space is something I've really gotten into pretty big time now just because it gives you so much space to uh, to operate. It's such a blank easel to, to paint on. And the one I've got coming up, I'll tell you guys, uh, I'm just about to leave on a trip to go up to the Pioneer League in, in, in cool. um, Idaho and Montana. And, and all, I see all these towns I've never seen. I mean, real small town minor league baseball. And the object of this one is... Is to just kind of bring Billings and Boise and Great Falls to a, a larger scale audience and, you know kind of take people through that league and talk about small town baseball and why it's important and you know the, the history of I mean look the you know, all the great Dodger teams have their roots in Great Falls and you know the Reds for forever were in Billings and right. you got fans there and people there that live and breathe it and we, we have drifted so far from shore not to get on a soapbox here about you know we, we all get so pissed off about what baseball's become so kind of going back to the the grassiest grassroots that i can find and i've always wanted to travel through the middle of montana and idaho anyway you know just yeah. kind of a bucket list thing so going to turn that into a podcast in about a month or so that's the next one coming up but um yeah thanks for bringing up throwback league because that was a totally fun project too
1: I love that you bring that up too. And I'm really looking forward to that because, you know, when we saw a lot of those teams cut from uh, minor league affiliation, you know, the first thing I could think of is all the small towns that, you know, lost their teams that it just, there's so much history there. And um, that's something that I know we're going to explore a little bit and to doing a little bit of a, a story on, you know, just the background of how the, the fallout of all those little areas and, you know, just the history in each of those spots that just boom, you either lose your you know, professional affiliation or it turns into a summer collegiate league and it's a little bit different. Um, but I wanted to do one little question to piggyback off of that uh, throwback league and uh, without giving away the winner or anything like that, uh, as a baseball historian, do you have a favorite team of any era that you just, you look top to bottom and you're just like, no matter how they finish, no matter if, whether they won or not or had all the success, but you look top to bottom and you're just like, that was one fun team like all the way around.
2: That's a great question. And I guess as uh, as a teenager, it was the 86 Mets for me. I mean, yeah. I, I turned 18 the night that the ball went through Buckner's legs. So, <laughs> and, and, and also pledged my fraternity that same night. So I was like such a momentous um, 18th birthday, which I'll always remember. But, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily a team of my youth, because when I became a, a, a Mets fan, they sucked. You know, it was kind of the uh, yeah. Willie Montañez Uh, Nino Espinoza era, you know, when I was like 10 and uh, was an Orioles fan because in Rochester that that was their affiliation for forever, like 42 years. So Cal Ripken and and those teams with with the Orioles coming up. But my first exposure to the majors, I was with um, the radio station that covered the Orioles in Baltimore to get my career going in the mid 90s. And that was when Cal set the Ironman record. And you look up and down that roster, it was like every near Hall of Famer possible. It was Raphael Palmero and Kevin Brown and Mike Messina and David Wells. And I mean, just, you know, all across that team, BJ Surhoff, you know, I mean, all yeah, these right. guys are like, oh, great player, not quite a Hall of Famer. And um, that was a really neat way to break into the major leagues because there were enough guys that I had known in Rochester, like Moose and Chris Hoyles and guys like that, that kind of made it easier for me to transition, Arthur Rhodes, if you remember him, you know, Jim Poole, guys like that, Um, you know, but then there, it wasn't that overwhelming for some weird reason to walk in and there's Bobby Bonilla and there's Palmero, and there's, you know, all these guys that, you know, you've heard are difficult to deal with and uh, it it just made it a lot easier. So those are teams I guess I'll, I'll always go back to.
1: Yeah, Arthur Rhodes played forever because I remember he was a late acquisition for my Marlins as they were trying to make a push. As a Marlins fan growing up, when yeah. in 2009, I was like, "This guy's still around." But it's funny you bring up the Orioles because you know, my dad grew up in South Florida and there was no team in South Florida. So by the time I was born, we were Marlins fans, but he was an Orioles fan, and uh, he always told me about that rotation from '71, right? And that's always what I think about is yeah, to have the 420 game winners. And that'll just never happen again with Jim Palmer, of course, leading the way. And uh, that's a team I always think of as well as like records that'll never be broken, especially in today's game. You're lucky to have one 20 game winner in your rotation to have four. uh, is just unbelievable.
2: Agreed. Agreed for sure.
0: You know, something that we love to do, Josh, is 23-year-old baseball addicts is slam the panic button on the game that we haven't been around for that long. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you can help us contextualize what's going on right now with, you know, yeah, the no-hitters, it, swing paths have changed, right? And, you know, a lot of hitters are kind of cutting their time where they can make solid contact with the ball to a microscopic margin. Like, there's not a chance to... Have a semi-success. It's either you hit a home run or you strike out, and, and those numbers are backing up. How has the offensive game changed in the last couple of years, to your eye?
2: Well, not. I don't mean to sound like get off my lawn, guy. I, I really hate that. But you know, when I go back and watch YouTubes of uh, games in the '80s, which was my youth, you know, or kind mm-hmm. of coming of age, uh, it, it just seemed like th- there was just so much more going on. And, you know, whether it was Tim Raines or Vince Coleman or whoever running around the bases and, uh, you know, the Rod Carews and George Brett's hitting for average. But, you know, even the guys that were just random just seemed to know how to play the game really well. So th- there's no question that everybody's bigger, stronger, faster, better now. I mean, everybody's throwing high 90s, if not 100. And nobody was doing it back then. Uh, you- you're right about it. It's like people have a, a swing coach in golf. So you can have the perfect swing, but it doesn't mean you really know how to get a runner over or drive them in. So, right. uh, you know, the, I guess technically there's never been better baseball. I mean, there have never been prettier swings. There's never been more spin rate on a curveball. There's never been more powerful fastballs, but it's boring as hell. Yeah. You know, all these games that are, you know, six hits and 32 strikeouts in it. And <clears throat> I just don't think that's fun for anybody. So... Uh, still love the game itself, but there's got to be a way to kind of desensitize it, kind of get it back down to to add its purest form. And maybe that's why I'm so sensitive to going and seeing baseball in a more pure form in the low minors. Uh, but it, it just seems like there, there's got to be a, a way to build this mousetrap a, a little bit better than what we're watching right now, because it's, it's I mean, there's home run derby in, in the Little League World Series now. You know, that's yeah. what's being valued. And I get it. And that's how you get paid. uh, And the the boutique nature of being able to craft your own breaking ball. I mean, that's fascinating. But when you watch it in the context of a baseball game, I just think it it bores the balls off the billiard table. So, uh, you know, there's got to be a way to find a a middle ground. Maybe there's, you know, let's go off and and watch the beauty of the the best uh, breaking ball you've ever seen over here and the prettiest swing you've ever seen that can be over here. Let's play ball over here, and and that's the game that I want to watch. If I want to go watch, you know, pretty swings, uh, you know, maybe we have a little contest about that sometime and and do that over here. But I, uh, I'd rather that the game kind of get back to where there's action. Yeah. And, and Jack
1: kind of alluded to it earlier uh, by saying, you know, we've only been around for so long, so we know the game for what we've seen it. You know, I know Jack and I like to go back at some old teams and do our research, but it's you have to really see it, you know, to, to understand and feel the difference. Sometimes it's beyond the numbers like you, you've alluded to. Um, there's hope for me that, you know, things are kind of cyclical. And I think we're hitting like our our point here. I'm hoping that, you know, this might be the farthest it goes. And as we make some small rule adjustments, you know, maybe banning the shift because the shift wasn't as much of a thing back then. If you look at batting average on balls in play, it just continues to drop. Of course, that doesn't fix the uh, strikeout issue, but it helps with a lot of other issues that we're seeing. Do you have any faith without extreme, extreme, uh, you know, Implementation of new rules that we can kind of get back to where we were. uh, Because I do feel like there is a little bit of a value added to some of these prospects we're seeing come up because I'm a big prospect guy that just can hit the ball. I think they're starting to be a a little bit more of a novelty to those guys. They're standing out more. And I'm hoping that that'll kind of set the tone instead of the showcase uh, type of skills that have always kind of gotten people paid.
2: Right. I mean, if Nick Madrigal gets paid, then, then we're all in business here, right? Oh, yeah. If that skill set starts becoming of value, then the boat is back in the right channel at that point. But if what's being taught is launch angle and what's being valued is power and all that, Nick Madrigal is not going to get paid. So why would you want to grow up to be Nick Madrigal? So <laughs> there's got to be kind of from the inside out a revaluation of what it is makes you money in this game. And, you know, if I'm being told, well, if you walk and hit home runs, or if you throw 100, you're going to be a star. Well, guess what I'm going to work on. So yep. until at the very grassroots level that turns around, I don't think that, that anything turns around. No you know? pressure
1: on Nick Madrigal. The
2: fate of baseball lies. in <laughs> <you>. <laughs> Josh, last one for me.
0: Um, you know, I am a huge fan of uh, how you advocate for mental health in in the game of baseball in broadcasting too. Because, you know, a, a quote that I heard, um, I think it was while I was interning with WGN in 2017, and you know, I it, it was somebody at at Wrigley, and they said the premise of baseball is it is a sport designed to make everybody within it from players to concession stand workers go insane over an 162 game season. Uh, I have found myself year by year taking more opportunities to step back and breathe and remember that this is super fun and it can't be balls to the wall. A hundred percent of the time. When did that perspective start to really grow on you and take, take over the forefront of your mind?
2: Well, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you're hitting that now at 23, Jack. Because I mean, it wasn't until I was about 40 that, that I really embraced that, and it, it hit me hard. I mean, my personal thing was my first marriage and my job in Texas basically ended the exact same week. And for someone that you know wasn't really equipped or didn't know what anxiety was, uh, you know, if, if you don't have anything to, uh, to to kind of brace you for that. You go off the rails pretty quick. And uh, I learned and it it took me a good year or two to kind of put it in context that you're exactly right. I mean, you know, you got to enjoy what you have while you have it. Um, You know, all those things that become platitudes when you're in that moment. Sometimes you don't recognize it or realize it. So I think it's it's super important. And baseball reminds you that every day. It's a sport that for all of us, whether we play it or announce it, we're going to fail at some point. You know, it's the old Saw about you know if you only fail seventy percent of the time you're an all star, you know you're a three hundred hitter in yeah. baseball. So uh, and I think broadcasting's like that too. You're never going to broadcast a game perfectly. You're going to stumble. You're going to have an um in there unless you're Costas. And there's <laughs> a uh, there's a, a real quick slope that you can start sliding down and kind of beat yourself up. So what you just said about breathing and taking a step back and realizing that you know what. At the end of the day, uh, let's kind of put in context all the things that are going well. I mean, look at this beautiful ballpark and look at those uh, fathers and sons and mothers and daughters sitting down there. And, uh, you know, for me, it was I I had my son with me in the the booth a lot of the times in Texas and then later with the Mets. And, uh, you know, all the little things that you can really look at as, as blessings. And and see them as positives, and not just uh, accentuate the negatives all the time. The negatives are going to be there. And again, baseball, I think, is the the truest, easiest sport to see that play out. I mean, you go, everybody strikes out, you know, and everybody walks a batter. There's no way around that. You're never going to get it exactly right, even in a in a perfect game. If you pitch a perfect game. You know, you're two and zero to somebody at some point, or you know, you, you missed with a pitch that you were trying to get to a certain you know you missed yeah. you're heading for that side of the plate and it went over there. So, it's not beating yourself up; it's giving yourself a break. And without being super cliche about it, just kind of smelling those flowers and and being in gratitude and being in appreciation of what you have. Hey, everybody strikes out except Nick Madrigal. He does not strike yeah, yeah. out. he does not strike out. <laughs> Nick, Nick has an exception on this one, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah. And and to build off of what Jack said, because both Jack and I were fortunate enough to be able to broadcast in the Cape Cod League, Jack beat me there by a year. And then I was able to do it the year after that. Um, and then of course, no season last year, but it didn't really hit me until, you know, how special it was until we had no baseball, as you, you mentioned earlier with when you started that whole throwback podcast. And that's where I was like, wow, that was a special summer. But I was so hellbent on, it was my first really full-time gig of calling baseball games every day. And I enjoyed it. I had those moments where I looked around and I was like, this is awesome. But I do think I was very consumed by the, I need to get better every single game. Um, and I think that's a good mentality to have, but I want this to kind of be something for for everybody that's listening, no matter what you're doing, broadcasting, working or whatever. How do you find that balance of holding yourself accountable, trying to get better, you know, listening to your tape and, you know, critiquing yourself, but without doing it in a way that builds anxiety within you and makes you too hard on yourself and, you know, just kind of consumes you. How do you find that balance?
2: That's the secret sauce. And I, you know, I'm in my early fifties now, and I think I'm just now finally getting it, you know? So if you guys hit it in your mid twenties, bravo, you know, chef's kiss. That's fantastic. Yeah. If, if You can do that. Uh, but everything in balance, I, I think, is the phrase that I always go back to. Another great phrase that, that Harry Callis, may he rest in peace, always yeah. used to borrow from, from Shakespeare, is to thine own self be true. Meaning that not only do you bring yourself into the booth and be true to who you are, but it's okay to kind of not beat yourself up, but just uh, you know at least acknowledge, okay, here are my strengths, here are my weaknesses, and like you say, Uh, You know, how do I accentuate my strengths? How do I work on my weaknesses? So there is a time and a place to go listen to your tapes and do some self-reflection and all that. But uh, again, everything in balance, I think you you have to give yourself a break. You have to go enjoy life. Uh, I mean, I keep coming back to Toledo for some weird reason, but all those trips I made to Toledo, Ohio, when I was in Rochester, I never saw the city once. You know, I I knew the stadium and I knew my hotel room. And that was it. So if there are treasures that were offered to me in Toledo, I don't know what they are, and I don't think I'll ever get back to Toledo. So I missed, you know. So uh, don't do that. You know, you know I, I think the the phrase uh, "bloom where you're planted" is probably correct. That you know, you, you don't have to stay there necessarily all your life. But if this is where you are, if this is where the golf ball has landed. That's where you have to hit it from. And, you know, you, you don't throw your clubs and be all upset that, oh, my God, I got to hit it out of the rough now. Just, OK, you know, this is where I am. And the, the goal here is to hit the very best shot. And I'm actually going to take a moment and look at my, wow, you know, I'm, I'm in the woods here. But this is beautiful. I mean, what yeah. is, you know, what, what is that bird call I just heard? You know, I mean, so if you can get to that point in your life where this is where I am, I'm going to make the absolute best of it. I think that's half the battle.
0: And you are living in the vicinity of Torrey Pines. So even if you are in the woods, it's going to be perfect. Josh Lewin, this was this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time.
2: Guys, keep on the path that you're on. You're doing great. And uh, if I can be of any help in any way, feel free to ring me up again. I appreciate you guys having me a lot.
1: Oh, we absolutely will. Thank you so much. All
0: right, guys. Be well. What a conversation. And, you know, that took turns that I didn't know they were going to take, you know, the, the mental health thing. I knew that Josh was a big advocate for, for mental health and um, you know, just increasing the, the meaning of your life on a daily basis and increasing the overall happiness that you achieve on a daily basis is something that he is a huge proponent of. And, you know, that's like a breath of fresh air right now, especially as we get into this era of anxiety that that we're all in, and and I'm sure that we're both victims of it, and I'm sure that many other people um, that are listening are, and that perspective is relatively new, it's relatively destigmatized, and it's non relatively awesome. Absolutely, I mean, as a baseball player, it, it affected
1: me on the field big time. Yeah. Um, you know, for me in the booth, I it, I almost like. I found my Zen in the booth. So like, that was why I loved it. Honestly, it was because baseball just got to the point where it was like, it was almost work to play because I was just so like, just consumed by it. And it seemed like for Josh, the booth was like that for him at times. And, you know, for someone like that to say that, you know, that's at the pinnacle of like where everybody would want to be, where you or I would want to be and say like, even at times, this amazing job, I didn't make it amazing for myself. Um, I think that's really important because people think like oh if I just get to here uh, then I'll be happy but you got to do the work internally and you got to take care of yourself and uh, you know that's where it starts and to hear somebody like that say that I mean there's so many areas where that conversation was valuable to us and I I hope that it was as valuable to everybody listening and I'm sure we'll circle back and try and get Josh on again because uh, he's a really impressive dude
0: and the baseball stuff was cool too And, you know, my favorite part about the baseball conversation was how we got into how the game has changed, you know, and you, you've got that boom or bust mentality and bust is okay. If you do it nine times, if you, you know, boom once, then, you know, you're getting a hundred million dollars. That's just the case right now. Uh, A guy that is gunning for as much money as possible once he hits arbitration and yeah, we can't avoid this on this Sunday, You hit hit a home run on a three Oh count. That's, that's the tired part of this. Yeah. I don't really care to discuss that at all right now. Um, What I do want to hit just because like, this is our first opportunity in front of a hot microphone to talk about it is a manager not holding his player accountable instead saying F you to his own player and siding with the division rival and saying, yeah, they should throw at my guy who worked his ass off to get to Major League Baseball and spent times in indie ball and got DFA'd a ton of times. And I, I don't know, it just pissed me off. And like, that's the team that I grew up loving. And, uh, you know, Tony has done some good things in Chicago, for sure. His bullpen management is great. Um, you know, he, he's brought in some guys that that you wouldn't necessarily think would gel with, with this current White Sox squad, with Jake Lamb and Billy Hamilton, but, but they are, and, and they're doing well. Although, you can kind of put that on Rickon too. He, he kicks ass, but I don't know. I, I just want your thoughts. I'm, I'm kind of tired of talking about it. I just can't stand uh, what happened this past week.
1: Yeah, the 3-0 thing, I think that's, you know, a tired topic because I think a majority of people at this point are like, who cares about that stuff? I think what bothers me about it, and, you know, we had to bring this up because this podcast in general is going to be you and I talking about these types of things. Um, You you hit on it, right? You have a a manager coming out and kind of hanging his player out to dry. But the undertones of it, too, I mean, the context of it is really important as well. I mean, people are saying, oh, he missed the take sign. He missed the take sign. This is deeper than a take sign. You don't hang out your player to dry and then double down on it and then triple down on it like La Russa did, especially given the context, right? This wasn't Jose Abreu uh, just cashing in even more after already a great career. This was Yerman Mercedes, who has been battling, as you said, through the minor leagues his entire career. Let the guy bask in the glory a little bit. I mean, who cares? And I think what really bothers me, and I saw people saying, you know, this is just a story because it's La Russa. Of course, it's a story because it's Larusa. You Guys, outdated. Yes, that's the big issue is the question was the second, the second that he was hired, it was like, how was he going to get along with Tim Anderson? As if there was already a rift, right? And like, there was already the report of like, I sat down with Tim Anderson and we had a good talk. And I was like, how did this already become something, right? Like, there, there was never even a backstory of that other than just really, really old fashioned guy and different guys that like to have fun today. And, you know, I, I think that's why it's the story is it's like everybody's fear as it related to Tony La Russa managing this team just came true. And I'm not saying that that's going to you know be the unraveling of this team, but it's definitely not a good start. Uh, and I, it's still really early in the season. We know how good the White Sox are. But when I think about it, it's just like, was this worth it for you, Tony La Russa? Is it worth it? No matter how angry you are, was it worth it? the potential rift and divide that you're creating between yourself and your players for what, what did you gain by airing him out there? You, you made yourself look more like the strong traditionalist. Was that worth it? And, and that's where I'm really lost. Um, on what Tony La Russa was trying to achieve there by hanging his player out to dry. And, and I know for a fact that the entire locker room and the entire clubhouse uh, did not like it. And I don't right. even ask him.
0: Right, like, like who's giving you the handshake of approval that you need, Tony? Like Bud Selig, yeah. like who, who's doing it? I have no idea. Um, Way more to lose, nothing to gain. Um, nothing to that's, gain.
1: That's where that's where I'm lost, and that's why I want to talk about it because it's like, what was he thinking?
0: I don't um, know. I no my last, yeah. my My last thought on it is is this from Alex Fast, who's the VP of pitcher list. He, he's great. He's a college great age, I think. Yeah, he seems like it um he, you know here's what he said about the 3-0 home run and again tired story i'm not trying to talk about it but i think this kind of summarizes where your means head was at alex fast said i'll say one thing about the 3-0 home run home runs will come up in arbitration conversations for your mean mercedes home runs allowed will not come up in arbitration conversations for Williams ask to deal Right? Like, it's as simple as that. Estudillo is a hitter. He threw a 47-mile-an-hour meatball, and Yermin wants 30 home runs as opposed to 29 because that could be the difference in, in a couple million dollars. And this guy's
1: been scraping by for years in the minor leagues, you know, just trying to make you know ends meet because we know how hard it is to make money in the minors. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so, like, that's a perfect point, too. And I think you hit the nail on the head. And I don't think Estudillo was uh, losing sleep over the homer. I think he's just fine.
0: Yeah, I think he's just fine. Uh, great conversation with Josh Lewin. And I think we got our frustrations out and, and it's a lovely Sunday morning, man. Go Absolutely. have a blast. Go have some yeah. brunch. Yep,
1: yeah, and, and just wait till it all comes back up again. All my frustration from this week and then we'll air it out on the next episode.
0: But you know what? We recorded, we uploaded, we sent it out. Bottomless mimosas. How about Let's it? Let's do it. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. It'll be me and Pete.